Welcome to Unquenchable Love with Brian Francis Hume. Each week, Brian will present a Christ-centered teaching to increase your passion for the Godhead. It is our hope that this podcast will be a burning lamp that leads you on a path to encounter God's unquenchable love for you. And now our host, Brian Francis Hume. So we're going to continue here in verse 11. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 11. So, so verse 11. And she bowed a bow and said, O Lord of hosts, O Lord of hosts. You know what's fascinating? In this prayer, this is the very first mention of the Lord of hosts. This is the first mention in the Old Testament. Now, anybody's read through the Old Testament, that phrase is very familiar. But yet here in this context, we see that little phrase used for the very first time, the Lord of hosts. And that little phrase is is really a reference to this idea of the military in terms of the angels of the Lord. It's the it's a direct reference uh, to the God of the angel armies. It's a, uh, I mean, there, there's no way around it. It has uh, military uh, uh, ideas embedded within that phrase. I remember a few years back, uh, I had shared a post about working directly with men that were coming out of a lifelong struggle in the place of pornography or lust. And in that post, I mentioned that when I first meet with a man, and I I ask some really hard questions, because oftentimes I might get a mom or a wife that wants their, their special loved one to be freer than that person does for themselves. And I can't work with that person. And so... So I often ask these hard questions, and then I'll tell them directly. I'll say this, and this is what I wrote in my post. It's going to cost you everything to get free, especially from this diabolical struggle. This is not a walk in the park. This really will require you to give everything, every ounce of your being unto the Lord Jesus Christ to get free from the shackles of lust and pornography. And I think I, I just emphasized again, it will cost you everything. And I did so because in that context, what I was writing about was that there's a, there's one, a sinister one, a diabolical one who wants, if he can't keep you from having a, he can't keep you from being born again, he will certainly try to minimize your impact as a son of the Lord. And he will try to cause you to walk in a manner that is uh, not worthy of the calling that God has bestowed upon your life. So I, I was just writing with some pretty strong, intense word. I, can't, I, I wish I had that post in front of me so I could just read it word to word. But I remember in that context, somebody wrote to me and rebuked me in that context and was basically saying that, you know, we should not 
uh, make it sound like we are in a war. I was like, oh, man, he just like pushed my buttons here. But, but I was nice because the reality is we are in a war. You look in Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. Paul makes it very clear that we as believers, as followers of Christ, are to put on the full armor of God that we may stand our ground on the day of battle. So there is a war. And what's interesting in that context, that when you read that context, Paul talking about the armor, he's talking specifically about what? Roman soldiers. But in verse 12, he said that we do not wrestle. So he brings in this wrestling word, which would not really uh, necessarily a, a, a concept that would be suitable for a Roman soldier. They weren't wrestlers in that Greco-Roman era. But Paul was referring to this idea that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But he was talking about the context of wrestling, which was, was common in that culture where there would be two slaves that would be pit against one another. And they would, the winner was the one who would, who could kill the other slave. However, in the context of the battle, if he was unable to kill that slave, but yet was able to defeat him, that slave, though he lived through that battle, would have his eyes gouged out. Man, that's brutal. But that's the war that we're in. If he can't kill us, at the very least, he wants to make us like Samson, where he gouges out our eyes so we can't see. And I'm sorry, a little too descriptive. I just saw a little one over on my right side. And so, so you and I, we, in the place of prayer, can call upon the host of heaven, the angelic army. Behind our prayer, as we connect with the very heart of God in a place of surrender, the Lord kindly and graciously brings our heart into alignment with his heart and allows us to come to agreement with heaven's will on earth and that we begin to see the fulfillment of things that the Father has carried in his heart for our lives. So whether through the working of the Holy Spirit in you, according to Ephesians 3.20, where it says that, uh, that God does more than what we could ask or imagine according to the Spirit of God in us, or whether it's through the, the bidding of his angelic army that are sent forth on assignment from the Lord based on our prayers, we have confidence before the Lord in the place of prayer that the Father will bring about heaven on earth through your, if I can put it like this, hinge prayer. I want to ask you a question. Are you willing to acknowledge your need for Christ in the place of prayer, even as you are engaging in this spiritual war that you find yourself in? Are you willing?
And so let's continue. So she bowed a vow and she, cr she cried out to the Lord of hosts. And if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but give to your servant a son. I talked earlier in the intro about the question, when did you first feel that divine drawing into the place of prayer? Now, I would say, I would imagine possibly for most of us, I would say maybe 70%, maybe 7 out of 10 people, that first moment you remember being drawn into the secret place would be driven by affliction. Now, when I did my master's degree at Regent University with uh, an MA in organizational leadership with a focus on futures studies, and one thing that we studied were what they refer to as the drivers of change. So there's lots of different drivers of change, economic, cultural, technological, there are different components that we would study in depth on that. But you know, one thing I don't remember reading about as a driver of change was affliction. But the reality is that drives us. That affliction drives us into the Father's heart in the place of prayer. So we have to learn in the grace of God to allow even the affliction that we might be walking through the trial that we did not sign up for. We have to learn to allow that to drive us to our knees in the secret place before the Lord. And I just want to say, there's a place in the grace of God when you, you allow him to teach you to take that affliction and to drive you to the secret place. Do not allow the affliction to drive a wedge between you and the Lord, but allow it to drive you into the very heart of God. And it's a choice that you and I have to make. And it goes back even, uh, even to the reality that we have to have anchor within our soul. That regardless of what we walk through, that the Father is good. That the Father is good. We have to have that revelation brimming within our hearts that the Father is good. And allow His goodness, even in a place of affliction, to drive us deeper into His heart till we mature in the place of prayer. So what afflictions are you walking through right now? A source of affliction may very well be the, the devil himself. I don't know. But I know that in the hands of God, he can use all things for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. So allow the Lord to drive you deeper into his heart. Do not allow affliction to have the final verdict in your life right now. Do not allow that to be the defining mark of who you are, but rather let it drive you 
before the Lord and let him define you in that context. But it has to come something that rises up in you by the spirit of God, where it's like you're not going to allow that affliction anything else other than what God has already said about you. So this morning, are you willing in the grace of God to allow the afflictions that you're enduring to drive you to your knees before him? Real quick here, just a prophetic unction. The gentleman with the glasses right there. Yeah, yeah, you. Um, are you guys together? Yes. yes okay. Um, the word for you right now, it's refurbish. God put things before you that you think uh, have expiration dates on it. But the Lord said, no, I've called you as one to refurbish things, to refurbish. You're going you're to have things that you put your hands to that give new life to God's going to put what seem to be old things that have that are beyond the expiration date. And God's going to call you even together to refurbish things that seem like they have passed their usefulness. But God's going to use it prophetically, I believe, even this coming season as a sign of things to come. But refurbish, refurbish unto the Lord. It's almost like embedded within that refurbishing is this idea of restoration. God has called you guys together to help others walk through a place of restoration. So I bless you guys in the grace of God as those who are called to be restorers of the breach, to be those who restore lives unto the glory of God, that, that, that those who have eyes to see what the Father is doing, even with those things that seem like they missed their mark, they missed their moment, but the Lord's going to put something, a holy determination Deep in your hearts together and say, no, we're going to raise up others who have seemed like they've missed the mark, but we're going to raise them up in the Lord and release them. So there's a restoration calling upon your lives together for the glory of God. Amen. Thank you, Father. And so, so we see here uh, Hannah. She's in the place of prayer. She's bowed before the Lord. She's crying out to the Lord of hosts. She is uh, she's crying out in the place of affliction, but yet she's allowing that to drive her to the Lord. And then lastly, we see her make a, a, a dangerous, bold prayer. If you grant my request and grant me a son, I will give him to you, and no razor shall touch his head. She is, in essence, in that moment, making a Nazarite vow on behalf of a son-to-be. And so I believe that, that that Nazarite vow that she makes on behalf of her son Samuel was really a reflection of her own heart before the Lord as well. So what is a Nazarite vow? And if you're taking notes, just write number chapter 6, and the entire chapter, uh, with the exception of the ending, that has the priestly blessing, uh, basically breaks down this idea of the Nazarite vow. But it were those that within Israel who would, uh, who would live by specific standards of consecration. 
before the Lord. They were those that wanted to set themselves apart unto the Lord, to be separate from the standard of the culture. In essence, what they were declaring with their very lives, in terms of their vow, their, their Nazarite vow they made before the Lord, is they were saying that the pleasures of God will exceed any, pleasure, any earthly pleasure that I permit myself to indulge in. So we see uh, even earlier in the Judges that uh, Samson was to have a, he, he made a Nazarite vow. We see even in Luke chapter 1, uh, when Elizabeth uh, uh, and, and Zechariah have uh, their son, John the Baptist, he was a Nazarite unto the Lord. And so here we see Hannah making a vow, and she's giving Samuel over as a Nazarite that, that, that no sharp razor would touch his head. And so he was one that would uh, walk with his heart set on the pleasures of God's heart that would rule supreme above any other pleasure that the world could offer as a sign of a consecrated heart. So in the place of prayer, there is the place of surrender. There is a place of having uh, that faith and trust in God to bring about the answers to your prayers before the Father. And there's a place of uh, enduring affliction before the Lord in the place of prayer. But then there, I believe that uh, a defining mark of prayer it's not just the, uh, the answers to prayers, but it's also marked by a heart that's been consecrated to God in a place of prayer. And so sometimes we, we need to come before the Lord. And we need that, that touch from him to consecrate ourselves afresh unto him where we declare that the pleasure of his heart will rule supreme above all other pursuits that we will pursue his heart above all else in a place of prayer and so this morning are you willing to consecrate your heart afresh before him as one who uh, pursues the pleasure of his heart above all earthly pleasures. And so we see here, uh, as we wrap it up in 1 Samuel 1.11, we, we go on to see that the Lord remembered Hannah. I believe that's verse 17, 18. Um, and he granted her her request. And she gave birth to Samuel, who was the first of the prophets who would uh, go on to establish the, uh, the monarchy within Israel. There's so much more I could unpack, but in closing, I just want to go back to what I shared with you guys regarding my own journey in response to the question, when did I begin to learn and it was in that time and season that, as I mentioned earlier, that through Luke chapter 1, verse 11, 
and then Malachi chapter 1, verse 11, specific verses that were, uh, it was like fuel to my inner man to be able to grow in the place of prayer. And I remember as, uh, I remember in 2000, a few years after stepping into full-time vocational ministry, the Lord called me to Dallas, Texas to attend Christ for the Nation. And in fact, I, I, the very first time I ever heard of Christ for the Nation was in this very room. Probably it would have been February or March of 1994. And I was here with uh, Mary's daughter, Christine. Christine was finishing up her last uh, semester at high school. And I was home from college, just gotten born again uh, a year and a half earlier. And she took me to youth group here. It was called Riot. And there was a youth pastor speaking named Jeff Bowen. And Jeff was talking about his time at Christ for the Nations. And so when he mentioned Christ for the Nations, it was like God put that little seed in my heart, a desire to go there. And so fast forward six years, finally June of 2000, the Lord released me to go to Christ for the Nations. I get there. I'm uh, 25. And I remember I, I go to, uh, I arrive on campus, never been to Dallas, Texas. And I arrive on campus. My heart is just in awe because I'm, I'm finally at this historic Bible school that I dreamed about attending. And here I am, and I'm walking. Uh, trying to figure out where to go to sign, sign in and, and, and pay my first down payment for my tuition and, and to get my key for the dorm room. And so I figured it all out. The sweet lady, Gail, gives, uh, takes me through the process and gives me the key to my dorm room. And it was just like a, a sweet little kiss from heaven. When, when she informed me that I would be over at the Gordon Lindsay Tower, my room number was 111. And for most other people, it just would have been like, oh, okay, 111. But for me, it was just a sweet confirmation from the Lord. I knew that I knew that, that, was, that I was at the right place at the right time. And so, so I spent my first year at Christ for the Nations in that room, and I can just remember distinct moments of prayer before the Lord, just crying out to God and, and really just experiencing each of these facets that we've talked about today. And so, so that, that room has always held uh, deep meaning for me. Now, here's the twister, if I can put it like that. So, so two years ago, I uh, actually even further back, a few years back, I had this crazy idea. You ever get a crazy idea? I thought, you know, I wonder if I could get that door to room 111. I wonder if I could pay, like if I offered to pay a certain amount of money, if I could get that door and maybe either use it for my own prayer room or maybe have somebody that's, uh, that's gifted and could create a table for me or something. So, so long story short, I end up kind of putting a word out some people that were on staff at CFNI that I'm connected with, and they talked directly to uh, uh, Ginger Lindsay, who uh, her, her, her mother-in-law was Mama Lindsay, who was one of the co-founders of CFNI. So long story short, they said, based on my proposition, if I gave $1,111, could I have the door to room 111? And they said, yes. They're like, yes. But the question was this, how in the world 
man, to get this, this, this gigantic heavy door from Dallas, Texas to Haymarket, Virginia. And so, so I had a, uh, some friends, a couple right near the campus who the last few years have had a GLT 111 door in their garage. And he's asked me a few times, Brian, have you found anybody to, uh, to transport this door? And I was at one point just thinking, man, Lord, how am I going to do this? Like every time I, I would hear about somebody coming over just too late they, or it wouldn't fit into their vehicle. And so long story short, a friend of mine uh, from Temple, Texas, mentioned that he was coming to Virginia this upcoming week. And, that, uh, and so I shared with him the story of uh, this door 111. And I asked him, is there any way, and I'll pay for your gas money above and beyond, but is there any way that door would fit into your vehicle? I gave him the specs and measurements, everything. And he said, yes. So, and, and I wasn't planning, I, I connected the dot this morning because this past week I felt like the Lord was saying hinge of history, hinge of history, hinge of history regarding New Covenant Fellowship. And it, and I, and it dawned on me uh, late last night as I was going to bed that my friend was picking up the door this morning in Dallas, Texas in order to bring it here to Haymarket. So he sent me the text this morning, I got your door. And so I just felt like there was a confirmation for, for this collective body here at New Covenant that you are in a season of the hinge of history. Now there's a, and, and, and I believe that this hinge of history word is a, a, a deep call in this coming season like Hannah in a place of prayer, a deep calling to, to give yourselves unto the Lord both personally and corporately. And so I just want to uh, just close in prayer. And then, um, Butch, again, I don't know how you guys normally do things. Uh, I would like to minister prophetically, but maybe you, if you want to dismiss people and they need to go, they can go. But if they want to linger, they can linger, and we can just allow the Lord to minister. Does that sound good? And so uh, let's just pray. I, I want you to respond in your heart before the Lord. Uh, if, if, if you feel the prop the Lord provoking you, whether through affliction, whether just through this intensity of desire to know him, to know Christ afresh in the place of prayer. I just want you to uh, bow your hearts before the Lord. We close in prayer. So, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, for your word. And, Father, thank you that even this morning, that you are provoking us in the place of prayer. You are provoking us through an invitation of grace to come into a deeper place of surrender, to come into a greater revelation, the host of the Lord, to come into a place of deeper consecration in the grace of God. So, Father, we just... We just humble ourselves before you. And we ask you, Father, help us in our weakness. Father, help teach us to pray. Father, show us the way to your heart through Christ. Show us, Lord, how to surrender 
in a place of consecration unto you. Thank you, Father. So, Father, I'm just asking for that fresh invitation from heaven for each person here. Thank you, Father. Fresh invitation from the Spirit of the Lord to each heart in this room. Thank you, Father. July 17, 2022 will be a day where you'll say I was provoked by God to go deeper in the place of prayer with him. Thank you, Father. And Lord, we thank you for the hinge of history. Thank you, Father. There are doors that are closing in this coming season. The, the old, the door to the old things of the, the judges, the old way of doing things are closing as you open a new door to the Davidic expression of your kingdom in the days of head. Thank you, Father. So, Lord, we thank you that you are marking this house even like a Hannah given birth to Samuel. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. We're thanking you in the place of prayer and surrender. The Father that you are bringing forth this hinge of history for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Father. This has been Unquenchable Love with Brian Francis Hume. Join us each week as we pursue God's heart for passion, purity, and prayer.